you could have more fulfillment and ease in your professional and personal life and still be ambitious. Join me, Kathy Onetto, founder of Sustainable Ambition, for conversations with experts, authors, and friends on what it means to live with sustainable ambition. Learn concepts, tips, and tools to craft a fulfilling career on your terms while still being ambitious and avoiding burnout. For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Welcome back to the Sustainable Ambition Podcast, everyone. I am thrilled to be joined today by Liz Kaler and Claire Davenport. Thank you both for being here today. Thank you for having us. Yes. Thanks for having us. I'm really excited for this conversation. So before we jump in, let me first introduce you to our guests. So Liz Kaler is Managing Director and Head of USWA Advisor Insights at BlackRock, where she's been for over 18 years. Liz and her team partner with U.S. financial advisors to help them grow their businesses and serve their clients. They develop and deliver programs and consulting for advisors and investors focused on practice management, portfolio construction, and capital markets insights. Liz graduated from the McIntyre School of Commerce at the University of Virginia, a shared alma mater, I'm proud to say. And (laughs) she also has a master's degree in applied positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania. Claire Davenport is a positive psychology expert, life design coach, CEO, and published author. Beginning her career at Goldman Sachs, followed by over 20 years in management consulting, managing large projects for Fortune 500 companies, she has parlayed her business acumen as a creative leader to become a consultant and change agent for well-being, which is what we're going to be talking about today. So Claire is currently the CEO of Designing for Better, which works with individuals, teams, and organizations to strengthen well-being and enhance both performance and engagement. Clients include Microsoft, Wharton Women's Circles, BlackRock, IBM, and more. So also together, Liz and Claire did research around addressing well-being and constant choice and change rooted in positive psychology. And I'm excited to talk with them more about that today. So Liz and Claire, before we dig into the research, I'd love to hear what brought you both to this work at this point in your careers. Each of you has had impressive careers to date, and then later in your careers chose to get a master's in positive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. It's kind of the mecca for that, where Martin Seligman, (laughs) a leading authority and perhaps the father of positive psychology, right, runs the Positive Psychology Center there. So what put you on this journey at this stage in your career? And maybe, Liz, you could start us off. Absolutely. Thanks again for having us, Kathy. We're so thrilled to be here. And this is such an area of passion for both Claire and me. Um, So look, this has always been that area of passion for me. Um, Really, for years, and probably since I was quite young, I've been drawn to books and articles and podcasts and quotes on this topic around particularly organizational well-being and leadership, but also the power of our mindsets. It really is a fascinating thing. And so I really wanted to take these concepts further. Uh, really into my own firm at BlackRock um, with our clients. 
um, really helping people pursue their well-being uh, for themselves and certainly for those around them. And honestly, I'm so glad that I, I have because it's already been an incredibly rewarding experience. Wonderful. How about you, Claire? Well, you know, similar but different. Look, I spent so many years maximizing the returns of companies and, you know, trying to understand what that meant, really digging in there. And because of my own life journeys, I sort of woke up to this idea of why aren't we maximizing our own returns, our own well-being? Um and I became very interested in the elements that make up well-being and sort of naturally fell into the field of positive psychology. So ended up doing my master's with the likes of Marty and the wonderful Liz. Um, and it's sort of that idea that above zero states of mind, what can we learn and how can we create more joy and purpose and intention in our lives? And this was really the launch point for me. And now, you know, after many years, I feel I live more intentionally supporting myself, my family, my friends, um, my colleagues, you know, other people's well-being. I love that. And before I get into the research and how you guys found each other to kind of do this work together, do you have any advice for people around, you know, because again, a lot of people... I think at a later stage in their careers aren't, I, I almost want to say courageous, but I don't want to be critical of others for not taking this step, but might be hesitant, I should say, in going ahead and kind of following an interest area or a curiosity area, or Liz, like you said, a passion area to go ahead and invest in another, like in a master's <laughs> and in a space that, you know, because also as adults, we often feel a little uncomfortable with taking on something that's new. So do you have any tips, like what got you guys to kind of be willing to take that leap and go ahead and invest in, you know, another, another stage of learning for yourself. You know, maybe I, Liz, if you don't mind, I'll jump. Sure, please. Yeah. I'll jump first. Uh, so, so I think that like uh, this idea um, and Liz and myself both chat about this a lot is this idea that we have, you know, we have motion, we create this motion, we look up recipes or what have you, but we don't actually try it. Like we don't take action and that action can be quite small. It doesn't have to be massive. And we have to sort of lose that thought that it has to be massive. It eventually may get quite massive, but at the beginning, just to take a little step, a little test and see you know, if you can create a little action, so you might have a conversation and you might, and I think that is how my life has evolved. Yeah. I love that, Claire. Um, for sure. One thing I would recommend is, is checking in on your tribe, right? So for me, um, my husband is unbelievably supportive and a wonderful human being, and he really helped make it possible for me with a, a full-time career, you know, at BlackRock, two young kids and pursuing this passion of mine. So I would say we had the conversation early. We came up with our game plan around that, that year, how we were going to make it work. So I think having that support system in place and checking in with your people is really, really helpful to set you up for success. And then from there, I'll just say, it's amazing how energy can be created, right? When you really love something. And so 
when, you know, for folks who are looking to lean into something that drives them and gives them passion, for me, I found it actually created more energy in my life, which, which also helped to push me. And it's amazing what can be done when you unlock some of that. So maybe feel the fear and do it anyway, is what I would say. <laughs> oh, I love what both of you said, like just taking small steps. And I think Claire, what you're sharing is starting to create that momentum. And then Liz, yeah. you know, like, First off, getting your support system in place, very smart. And then I, I hear that, you know, also when you're um, feeding into that energy or letting that energy drive you, it builds and, and builds momentum as well. So the small mm-hmm. steps and kind of leaning into some some of that energy um, will, will hopefully create that, that momentum that both of you are talking about. Um, that's great. Thank you for, for sharing that. So I would love to talk about the research you did together. So you, you conducted this research um, that informed lessons around how to unapologetically pursue well-being amidst constant choice and change. And that work is rooted in um, positive psychology. So can you tell us a little bit about that research? And maybe Liz, you could start us off. Yes, of course. So Claire and I um, really had the great pleasure of meeting each other, as you already set up, at the University of Pennsylvania, where we both pursued this master's in applied positive psychology. And it was just an incredible, um, game-changing experience. And really, we we mind-merged at the time. Little did we know we would be going through a global pandemic uh, as well. But we mind-merged at the time and completed our thesis on really understanding how changes and choices, along with our plurality of roles in our lives, can really impact our well-being and our happiness, right? And that included pretty in-depth interviews with more than 50 amazing executives around how they do it. Um, and we're happy to get into some of those themes as well. But but I should just, quick clarification. So this was really our own research through our program. So it was not that of BlackRock's, although I will say um, BlackRock has a lot of other awesome content and programs to help advisors and investors with their financial well-being. But this was really uh, independent research that Claire and I conducted together. Yeah. And I'm curious about like, Claire, maybe you can talk to us a little bit about like, what did, what were some of the key findings from your research? And was there anything that was really surprising to you that stood out? Oh, there was so much (laughs) fabulous information. Um, And it was like consolidating it and understanding it and diving into it that um, where the real learning kind of happened in many ways. But look, I think one of the biggest things is successful individuals know that before you can learn to focus on the larger elements of life, we need to start simple and just, you know, take back our days, control what you can control, right? And there are some core themes that emerge from the research for sure. Um, You know, again, starting with this being intentional and present, you are here. And that's good enough for right now. You are here. We need to create unapologetic, happy boundaries, sometimes a little more tricky for women than men, but it's, it's really important. And, you know, given what we've just gone through, it's just so clear. And this idea of choice is perfect is no longer trending. Um, so you got to limit your choices, right? Don't pick from a thousand, pick from three or four. It really matters. And um, this idea, and we're going to see it more as we move into the future, this idea of being your own environmental designer or detective in your workspace, life space. Um, 
I think, you know, finding the freedom and planning and prioritizing kind of goes with being intentional and present, but it's a real skill and it's super essential, especially as we, you know, we, our roles bombard us, right? I mean, Liz spoke about friends, you know, in the, the research participants consistently said friends matter. It's what it gives them the juice of life. It's, it's, you know, we could, I could spend all day talking about this. Mm-hmm. It, it really matter. And that life should be, shouldn't be a stoic march to who knows where, but it should be joyful. You should have rituals. You should have celebration. So those are some of the, the key I could go on and on, but I think those are some of the key, um, great learnings that we got from our research. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I could, we could, and we may go through these a little bit more deeply. And I wonder if we could start Liz with, you know, this, this idea of controlling what we can control. And sometimes when I pause and I talk to some others and I, and we talk about our roles working for organizations, it often does sound like we become slaves to our jobs where we don't feel like we're in control or, you know, if, if we aren't controlling our calendar, somebody else is, right? And so this notion of like taking back control and, and owning that intentionality of how we're using our days, are there, do you have just a couple of tips? Like where do people start even just with that to get this mindset of, Hey, I can take back control instead of, because I think, you know, it's instead of letting just the momentum of being operating inside, say an organization kind of driving, you know, how one's days go like, and especially, you know, if you're a senior executive, if you're the boss at the top, right, that's a little bit easier to kind of take control of your days. So if you're not at the top, you know, what did you, what advice or some ways, uh, could you share some ways that people can kind of, where do they start in terms of starting to get control of their days? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so relevant today. Right. And probably one of the biggest challenges, I think it starts with a bit of confidence, right. And a bit of a recognition that you are actually not only being kind to yourself, you're being kind to others by setting some of these boundaries. And I think that's probably one of the biggest hurdles that we all need to come uh, overcome mentally and emotionally. Um, and then reflecting a little bit about the power and the benefits of setting some of these boundaries, right? So just standing back and thinking about what are you tolerating in your life? We have these constant interruptions today more than ever, especially with technology. And how can you start to create some of those agreements with yourself and others, whether it's internally or externally? And there's some tools and tricks um, that we saw many of the people in our research start to employ. But ultimately, look, remember, boundaries um, help us not only improve our self-esteem, they conserve that emotional energy for the things and people that matter most to us, and they give us more independence and agency. And, And saying no is okay. Right, you're you're actually um, giving yourself permission to try something new or different um, in that space, and you might be preserving that time with family, friends, or yourself. And so, maybe I'll just wrap with a few of the best practices we heard from some of our research participants. Um, Again, some of them create those internal boundaries with themselves, those agreements 
oftentimes they wrote them down, right? It could be determining their commitments based on their values and their priorities first and foremost and keeping them top of mind. One even had like a brain dump yard they set up for later, right? So they would write down things that came to mind and set it aside physically. Um, and then external boundaries, this could be with technology tools, right? Get really disciplined around using time limits, awareness apps, try the Pomodoro method where you really sit down and time yourself and, and create blocks of, of uninterrupted time, rules around checking email, right? Shut the stuff down, right? That's distracting you, right? You are in control and remember that. Um, and just remember you're being kind to yourself. So some of it's a bit of self-talk, a bit of self-confidence, but it really, really matters and it really pays off. Mm. Those are great tips. Thank you for sharing those. Yeah. And I'm curious, Claire, if you might have, you know, this, this whole notion of setting boundaries. And I really appreciate that you're talking about there's both internal boundaries we need to set for ourselves, which I think is a great thing we need to build awareness around. Like you do have some control and you do need to take on some responsibility. Then there's the kind of setting external boundaries or, and so I'm curious, Claire, if there's any way that you advise especially because you work with a lot of organizations, how do you manage those conversations with the boss, with, you know, HR, some, like when you need to set those external boundaries and negotiate that with an organization, say, do you have any tips on how to pull that off? First of all, you, you need to understand it's sort of something that, that Liz said earlier was this idea that you are being kind actually to yourself, but also to others. So if you have that mindset, that is, really useful. And of course, you're going to go in and you're going to be brief and informative and, and you're going to be respectful. But but um, to know that, that you know, your, your time matters and by managing yourself well, you're going to be helping out others. Um, yeah. So there's a bit of like role modeling I'm kind of hearing. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Demonstrating for others, this is a way to do it. This is a way, this is how it has to be because time is, is so limited. Energy is so limited. And it's also really, you know, as you dig into this whole idea of boundaries, it's also like, you know, it's also managing your energy, not just your time, right? Like Liz and I found this over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Can you say a little bit more about that? Go ahead, Liz. Are you going to say something? I was just going to add into one other um, best practice I've seen is powerful, but you just have to make it a discipline and a practice is for that boss, go back and share with them later what you did do with that time. So after you set that boundary, reinforcing for them what you were able to accomplish and the time that you saved for yourself and how powerful and important that was, I think demonstrates good decision-making on your part as well as leadership. So some of it's in the follow-up as well after you've set a boundary and that'll build trust, I believe, with that manager as well. Mm. Mm. So yeah, so being both transparent and vocal and kind of um, bringing visibility to like, this is how this is impacting me and how these boundaries are actually working for me. And, and so reinforcing kind of uh, continue to have permission, if you will. And I, perhaps you don't need to have permission, but just to have enrollment and alignment around mm-hmm. the boundaries that one is setting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I wanted to come back to, to this idea of limiting choices. I was wondering if you could say a little bit more about that. Maybe Claire, you can start just in like, cause I believe this, this too, that like, oftentimes I think we, we think we don't have choice. And, and so in many ways, I want people to feel like, yes, there are environmental factors that we can't control, but what do we feel we can control and what does it kind of look like to limit our choices? 
you know, it, uh, there's an amazing uh, behavioral economist, Barry Schwartz, who does a lot of research on this, who I just adore, but like <laughs> this idea that we live in this land of so many choices and often we think it's a luxury and it's fabulous, but we actually have, it can really hurt us. Like we, it's hard to get control over these options. It's like you're swimming in options and you don't know what to do next. And I think this is going to be really relevant as we emerge from, from post COVID. Um, Cause we have to stay focused and engaged and the options are going to start piling up on us again. Um, but this chase of the perfect choice is what we call, or behavioral economists would call being a maximizer. And we need to learn how to be what we call a satisficer and limit our choices. We need to, um, learn if and when to be a maximizer and bombard ourselves with choices. I um, mean, you've probably seen it when you, you go think of ideas for dinner or go on vacation. Like you're, <laughs> you got so many ideas, you actually, they all pile up, but maximizers chase the never ending perfect choice. Where satisficers, they kind of rein it in and limit their choice. And these, you know, when you're in that maximizing state, you're always seeking the best. You're comparing your decisions endlessly. You're spending so much time. Like you can't, you go, oh my goodness, I can't believe how much time I spent looking at for that. And ultimately you become unhappier with your outcomes. And research really shows this, um, this negative correlation of maximizing and happiness and well-being and life satisfaction and self-esteem. So satisficers, we can learn a lot from them. You know, they accept good enough and they can move it on after deciding and they're happier with their outcomes. And it's not like that you're one or the other, you're kind of a mixture of the two, but we tend to skew more one way than another. And we just have to bring that intentionality and awareness um, to our, you know, our decision-making so we don't get exhausted by it, yeah. Oh, I really love this. And you said um, one of the distinctions, because it's it's I, I like this notion that, you know, we're not one or the other per se, but you also said like you need to kind of know when to be a maximizer or not. And so are there any decisions where you think, you know, it this is when, you know, opening your lens and having more choices or options is wise as opposed to more often than not. I think parents probably know this, right? Young kids only give them two to three choices, <laughs> right? But do give them some choice. Um, so we need to kind of remind ourselves of that. But, you know, can one of you speak to like, when is it helpful to be a maximizer? Are there situations when it actually is appropriate or a good thing? You know, I, I would say that like a health decision. That's a big one, right? Like you got, you've got a really difficult health decision. You might want to go a little broader to see whether, you know, what the outcome is. Um, but, um, but even on things like, you know, I just, I have four kids and, you know, I've done for some of them, I've done the university application piece. And sometimes you, you know, you picking, picking from a hundred doesn't help anybody. So like, you might want to just narrow that right down, right? Even though you think, oh, it's such a massive decision. You should look really, you know what? You're pretty quick to know that you can bring it right down, right? Yeah. yeah. So some are easier than the other. I yes. Don't yeah. And I think a great first step, honestly, and then Claire and I've done this ourselves is just sit down and make a list of where you think you maximize because just that self-awareness is a starting point. You may find that list is way longer than it should be, or there's some things, um, that just aren't that critical. So like, give yourself a break, give yourself some time. 
and prioritize. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Just also, like you're saying, just bringing that awareness. And I think Claire, it goes back to that notion of intentionality too, that you were talking about. And even in these choices that we're making and bring to our day-to-day lives, like how do you bring more awareness and intentionality to it? Um, and, and kind of ask yourself, am I being a satisfier in this moment or am I being a maximizer? Um, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, I also wanted to come back to you talked about, and I believe in this too. And I, you know, there's been some others in the, in the world who have been talking about this idea of like, don't just manage your time, manage your energy as well. And um, I'm also personally a believer. I think you sometimes have to be a little careful about this, but kind of like follow your energy too. like trying to get yourself to do something when you don't have the energy for it is going to take you a lot more time than if you kind of, you know, just wait till you're recharged or you have more energy for it. Now, you have to take it, take into consideration your priorities or what really needs to get done. But how do you guys think about this notion of managing your energy, not just your time? And I wonder, Liz, if you want to take that. Yeah. Yes, Kathy, I'm so with you. And I don't know about you, but this past year and a half, this has become so much more um, apparent to me, whether it was working from home or whatnot. I've just noticed this a lot more. So um, we saw consistently in the executives that we spoke to that, yes, they both manage their time, but especially their energy. um, And they do it in a way that's simply non-negotiable, which I really respect. And it goes back to this idea of self-care that we were talking about. Um, I forget the the saying, it's something like you can't pour from an empty cup, right? Uh, so, So thinking about when you're at your best to your point and paying attention to it, maybe write it down. Um, You might think about this as energy mapping your day. Uh, When do you feel high energy? When do you feel low energy? Are there things you can do to add in or increase your energy? Or can you simply rearrange your activities, right? To do maybe less thinking and more mundane tasks when you're lower energy. Um, and I also, one thing that I've so embraced and probably a little late in my, my own career is this idea of mini breaks and how important they are. Um, so allowing for them actually really does increase our productivity and it, it helps your brain consolidate memories and new tasks. So whether it's taking a short walk or calling a friend instead of just like jamming another cup of caffeine. Um, and then maybe the last thing I'll just say in terms of some, some best practices uh, that we heard from our research was time block, right? For everything that includes personal time too, and those mini breaks. I mentioned this Pomodoro method. It's pretty powerful. Claire turned me on to it, which is like sitting down with something you're doing and, and a timer and really focusing in for 25 or 45 minutes. Um, trying not to multitask. I know how hard it is, but you it's really hard to get creative and connect in. And even just do, even as simple as just doing the most important thing first thing in your day, if you are a morning person, when your energy is high, I know that's something I employ. So again, some of these things are just um, not always common practice, but can really make a difference in our productivity. Yeah. One of the things that's coming up for me as I listen to you both and, and talk about the research and what you learned and how these individuals who you interviewed are really managing themselves, if you will, is that... I'm going to go back to your word, Claire, of intentionality. And there's also a lot of paying attention, being aware of oneself. And it also, this takes effort, it seems to me. Like in order to like really manage your time or take control back of your days, it does take you being thoughtful about it is is what I'm kind of sensing. So is there some truth to that, Claire? And like, you know, that we all have to take some personal responsibility for, you know, 
how, how we take back our days. You know, sometimes I've used in some conversations, not on the podcast, but I talk about, you know, for example, like, hey, if we all have more flexibility, I actually think it could unlock productivity. And some people kind of backlashed on me around that. They're kind of like, well, is it always about productivity, Kathy? And I said, oh, well, no. I mean, I'm using that term very broadly. I still, It's not like I think that every minute of the day needs to be, we need to be in action. We need pauses. We need breaks, et cetera. But if we have that flexibility, for example, to work when we feel like we can be most productive, just as one example, you know, I I think it will enhance our productivity. So we're using our time wisely, right? Because as you said, Claire, like there's only so much time in the day. So um, I'm curious, like what are your thoughts on like in, in counsel to people around like, how do they invest time in this? Or does this take some amount of work? And do people just need to, need to be aware of that? Like, hey, if you want to take control back of your day, you need to put some attention to it. Because, you know, Liz, you also have said a couple of times, hey, take notes, be aware of when you're doing certain things. So, so Claire, I guess going back to you, is there is there some, am I right about this? Like, or am I wrong in terms you're of- absolutely spot on. I mean, I think that, I mean, look, when we work with people, uh, you know, you don't want to should people like you don't want to, you know, this isn't shouldn't be something to be slap on. And, you know, but to 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 create more awareness, right, just on how you're living, how you're showing up for your roles is so important. Like it is just so important. And I think that um, whatever small step you can take to create more intention. And that can, I mean, look, for me, a lot of intention comes from when I'm, you know, I, I time block my days when I understand my, how my energy ebbs and flows, how I want to show up for a role. Um, but I, I think there's lots of ways to get at it. Um, you know, look, a mindfulness practice in some way can certainly, you know, leapfrog you, but, you know, just, Look, I have a cup of tea with me. So when I hold this cup of tea, I feel more aware, right? Like I just do. It just centers me. It grounds me, you know, Liz knows it makes my toes wiggle. Like it just is a great thing for me bringing more awareness. So, so I think, um, um, it is a, it is a, an, an important journey. Don't should yourself, but give it a try because yeah. life will become more joyful if you do. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, and I love that. And uh, the wiggle toes, I smile because one of our research respondents told us that they actually wiggle their toes to help them be more present, which we thought was really kind of fun. Um, but um, one other thing I'll just say is don't maximize on this. Don't feel like you have to do some crazy in-depth soul searching, you know, one month retreat to know yourself. Like what I have learned, if anything else, as also like, I'm sure all of your listeners, very, you know, busy individual, there are little things you can do five minutes here just to look at your calendar and see what would your, how could you make it better for yourself? Or what's one simple little tiny practice as Claire just said, to be more intentional or to connect in with a friend. It doesn't have to be this overwhelming undertaking five minutes here, five minutes there, just thinking about it um, can make a really big difference. And I know that personally. So 
just uh, back to our satisficing <laughs> concept here. I really appreciate that. Liz. <laughs> Thanks so much for bringing <laughs> us back to that point on this and to, to make it, and it gets back to what Claire said as, as well, which is what's a small action you can take. Um, so bringing that down to start to build momentum or have big, you know, small actions can have big impact. So um, before I get to a couple of final questions, I just did, because you've, you've talked about, we've been in this pandemic, of course, right? And well-being is getting a lot of attention at this time. You know, a Deloitte Global Human Capital's trend study also talked about this being ranked as one of the top things that needs to be addressed. Employees themselves ranking it higher than employers, um, perhaps not too surprising. But I'm curious what you guys are seeing as we come out of the pandemic. And if you have any suggestions of where you would um, suggest individuals on companies put attention around well-being um, as we kind of start to get back to perhaps whatever this new normal is going to be. And I don't know, Claire, if you would want to start us off. Yeah, you know, you know, it is you're you're this is it's so important to think about this. This is a new normal. Um, and there's limited research to direct us. And we know for sure that everyone is different, how we're coming out of this, what we want. Um, but for sure, people are more, more dialed in to their well-being because it has suffered. It has suffered um, during COVID for most. And so that given that, I think companies need to absolutely lead with a sort of people-centered culture. They need to be empathetic. Um, but it's also not just companies. I, I, I've got to say, I think individuals need to take their, their well-being into their own hands. And that means really reflecting and understanding their, their values. And maybe they've been sort of redefined or they've come out of the cobwebs and their roles and their boundaries. And they need to start to navigate with more meaning and purpose at work. So um, they're going to have to uh, work, think about work and the number of choices they're going to be soon bombarded with. Even like to where do you work from today? Um, I think it'll be slightly confusing at times. I think they're gonna have to um, think about this um, and not maximize all the time again. Um, and we're gonna have to create as we disconnect more working remotely, we need to create connection. And so it's how do you create connection through this disconnection really? Um, so I think there's a lot of changes coming up, but at the same time, I think that leads to a lot of opportunities for individuals to um, create their own way and for companies to support that journey. Um, so I'm excited to see what's coming up. Yeah. Me too. Liz, is there anything you want to add to that? Hard to, hard to add much. I thought that was spot on. And I love this idea of yes, change, but also yes, opportunity. So know what matters to you and spend that time thinking about it. So I thought that was great. I love it. Yes. And I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that, Claire. And I encourage people as well to start to rewrite your own re-entry, right? Don't let just work to kind of dictate things, but kind of get clear on, and that's what I hear you saying, giving permission to get clear on what's really important to you so you can start to navigate and ask for some of those things yourself. Um, and to your point, Claire, you started to talk about this. We're all different. And uh, with others I've spoke with, they've also advocated that each of us is unique and needs to find what works 
to sustain ourselves. And I was curious for each of you, has there been one change you've made that's really made a big difference in enhancing your well-being on a day-to-day basis? And maybe Liz, you could start us off. Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, Goodness, I think it's somewhat related to what we just said, right? So maybe what I would offer is, is just having taken time over the last year and a half to really reflect and just understand my values. What is most important in my life? What drives me? And then to try to really optimize my time and energy there, right? So for, you know, and that's, that's really made a pretty big impact on my well-being. Um, and look, it hasn't always been easy. So I just want to say quickly to all, all the folks listening, we get it. This has been a really tough time. And so while we've shared a lot of ideas here, I just want to reiterate what Claire said. If you take one tiny thing, that's it, and just try it, it will add, It will make an impact for you. So we don't want you to look at this as a long list of to-dos for yourself. No one needs more of those right now. But anyway, back to your, your question. So I would say... Um, For example, knowing that being really present with my children, my kids, um, and during that time, turning off distractions, um, it really boosts my sense of well-being. Um, and, And yes, that has certainly taken some boundary setting for me as well, which can be uncomfortable at times, but the payoffs really are worth it. So, so that's what I would highlight. Um, Claire, what about you? That's great. I love that. And I think Similar, I, I think that it's just the biggest element that's become so front and focused for me has been this, this idea of creating purposeful connections with others. It's been, it's been a tough COVID, you know, I know how much um, connection can help people. Um, so whether it's me reaching out, um, even when they don't reach out, knowing that they need it, um, can really turn my okay day like into a, into a really good day. Um, and within that kind of uh, piggybacking on what Liz said is to, to kind of come into those connections and really listen, like really be present, be intentional around these opportunities of connection. Um, it's just so great for you and for others. So yeah, it's this whole idea of connection that's just become, you know, it's got that exclamation mark on it as we come out of COVID. I love that. Um, all of this, uh, such great advice or just inspiration for others to start to, both from the work you guys did and, and kind of tips that you offer, um, as well as this encouragement to try one small thing that you can test out that's going to work for you. And I, I really appreciate this, Claire, also what you're saying around this whole creating connection through this time of disconnection and coming back to these purposeful connections and being present, um, I think can be really, really powerful for people. So thank you guys so much for taking the time to speak with me today. This has been a fabulous conversation and the work you're doing to champion well-being is just so critical right now. And so I, I so appreciate you taking the time to talk with us so that people get some insights into what they can start looking at for themselves to increase their own well-being. So to close, I'd love to just ask each of you, what's the final piece of advice you might leave our listeners with? 
Look, again, this has been a tough time for so many reasons for so many people. So be kind to yourself. I think this idea of one small thing is so, so important. Um, And look, we covered a lot. Um, Oftentimes we're we're great learners, but not always so great at the action taking part. I I know I'm guilty of that too. Um, So how how do we convert it? How do we convert the learning to action? I think this idea of one small step is, is really important that we covered. Um, creating some intention around the micro learnings that you choose. Don't bite off more than you can chew. And then I just say, celebrate your wins, right? The, even the smallest ones, pat yourself on the back. It's not easy to make change. So celebrate them. Remind yourself of what you did well today, right? I, I, I would maybe um, share some of those points. Wonderful. Claire, how about you? Well, I think that was an excellent answer. I loved all of those. <laughs> right, Liz? Uh, yeah, no, I love that. And I, I love this, uh, you know, Liz and myself have spoken a lot about um, celebration and I would chuck in this idea of rituals, create maybe a, just a daily little ritual here and there to support your well-being. It can be small. It could be a hug. It could be a latte it could be a yay me, right? Like whatever, just create little rituals in your day because they can absolutely boost your well-being and give your life um, more form and joy, I think. Wonderful. Uh, all, all such great tips. Thank you so much. And so if people want to keep in touch, where can they find each of you? Claire, where, where can people find you? Well, you know, I've got a company called Designing for Better. And um, look, I work with individuals and teams really looking at improving, you know, um, productivity and performance and engagement. But, you know, overall, I'm looking at enhancing well-being. Um, and um, so I do a lot of coaching one-on-one. I do um, workshops and yeah, a lot of different things advising individuals and companies. And you can find me at Claire, C-L-A-R-E, so no I, Claire at designing for number four, better.com. Yeah. So I would love to, to hear from any and all. I love sharing ideas. Wonderful. Thank- and Claire's being humble. She's really fantastic. We've uh, we've partnered with her with some initiatives with my firm and whether it's coaching or circles or workshops, it's really, really awesome work. So I encourage everyone to, to get in touch. Yeah, and for me, um, so happy to uh, continue the conversation. I think LinkedIn is probably the best way if you want to reach out, either message me or connect in. It's just Elizabeth Kaler, K-O-E-H-L-E-R. And I'd be happy to hear from you. Wonderful. And I will, of course, capture all of that in the show notes. Liz and Claire, thank you again for being with me today and really championing well-being for all of us. Uh, Such an important topic for uh, this time in our lives and really always. So thank you for the work you've done and continue to do. And I'm looking forward to being able to share this conversation with our listeners. Thank you again for being here today. Thanks, Kathy. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. 
And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance. It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.